Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 24th day of October 2014. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the doctor's opinion. We are on page XXXI for 31. And we are on the paragraph that begins, When I Need. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Kathleen M., 12 Traditions, Santa H., and then Sharon H., Anita L., and Sarah W. And the share code for Thursday, the 23rd of October, is 6977. 6977. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Kathleen M. to read the 12 steps for us, please. Good morning. This is Kathleen M. in Virginia. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we have tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Yes. Thank you, Kathleen M. And I will now ask Santa H. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. Hi, my name is Santa H. I'm from New Jersey, recover compulsive overeater, recover for today. 
These are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less money, less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principle before personality. Pass. Thank you, Santa H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And we are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the doctor's opinion. We will be finishing the doctor's opinion. We are on page XXXI31. We are on paragraph 3, when I need a mental uplift. And I will ask Sharon H. to read for us, please. Uh, 
Good morning, Monica. This is Sharon, uh, H, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, thanks, Monica. Um, when I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis and deciding his situation hopeless, had hidden in a deserted barn determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party and in desperate condition brought to me. Following his physical rehabilitation, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment a waste of effort unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. And again, this is another uh, example that Dr. Silkworth shares in this beautiful letter that he wrote. And um, this was, again, another person who just seemed completely hopeless, believed that about himself as well, and was still believing that it required his own willpower to somehow, some way, be able to get sober and stay sober. And I can relate to that and identify with that because that was um, my own experience for many, many years. And today I realize that uh, my willpower is useless and that it is the first bite, not trying to figure out how many bites of something I can have that my body will not tolerate and then be able to somehow manage that as long as I know that, that magic number. Uh, there is no magic number. Um, my body will not tolerate certain foods in any amount. And uh, that's what that mental twist, that obsession of the mind, kept leading me back to believe that lie that um, I had to find a way. First, I, you know, it, I really was just trying to manage it because I didn't want to um, let go of those foods at all. And then when I reached the point where I really did want uh, the freedom, I, I wasn't able to stop. I could not stop. And that's the desperate point that uh, we find ourselves in. And then this incredible book that gives us a solution of how if we will just uh, accept our complete powerlessness and then uh, come to believe in a power greater than ourselves um, that can give us that power on a daily basis through the process of these this simple kit of spiritual tools, I love that, which are the steps, and then we can begin a completely new way of life. And um, we'll read on about what happened to this man as well, even though he truly believed that that was never going to be the case for him. And so I'm just so grateful that we're back in this doctor's opinion. It had such an incredible impact on my life two years ago and continues to have an impact uh, each new day that I am given by God's grace to now uh, be able to offer this uh, solution to others and um, know that God will do the same thing in their lives that he has done in my life and so many others. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Monica. Thank you, Sharon H. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Larry. Janice. Janice. Larry. Anybody else? Okay. Janice, you're up, and then Larry. 
Well, thank you, Monica, and thank you for your service. Uh, my name is Janice, and I'm from Massachusetts, a grateful, comp- recovered compulsive overeater. Of course, we know this is the doctor, Silkworth, writing this letter. And he's, you know, he, he gives us one case. He gives us uh, the first case, uh, giving us the problem, which is the, the, the physical problem, the gastric hemorrhage, and the mental problem. And then he gives us a solution to a seemingly hopeless case. Now he says, when I get discouraged, you see, when I get discouraged, I need a mental uplift also. And he's he's recounting that, you know, he had another case of um, somebody and who seemed who seemed hopeless. Okay, he was. Uh, excuse me, excuse me, Janice. There is someone. There's a lot of noise in the background. Please, can everybody check and make sure that their phones are. Thank you, Monica. Yeah, so so now he's 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 discouraged because he's a doctor and he sees a lot of hopeless, seemingly hopeless cases. But he knows that there was hope with the first first. Um, he knows the treatment for the you know he's given us two examples. The first example, um, he was you know this one here is desperate. But if you noticed, following his physical rehabilitation, so. Dr. Silkworth is telling us twice that I need to be abstinent first before I can solve my problem. I have to I have to um, take care of the allergy of the body first, first in both cases, and then I'll have the treatment. You can't do it any other way. And believe you me, I've tried. And you know, yes, I need a mental uplift too when I come to this group of recovered compulsive overeaters. Um, so here it is that he needs a he needs a physical rehabilitation, and then he can get the solution, which is the treatment, which is going to um, expel the obsession of the mind because it's got not the solution is not willpower. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was this, I thought it was that, and uh, unless unless he does these this treatment, which the first example, if you notice. That's going to be the common denominator, the treatment, the problem, and then the treatment. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. And Larry, you're up. Thanks, Monica, for your service. Larry, recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. Um, Larry Kay. So I'm going to zero in on uh, the sentence in the in the in that first paragraph. Um, so this man wanted an assurance from Dr. Silkworth that he would have the willpower to re- resist the impulse to drink. So, I mean, in point of fact, that's what normal people have. It was, um, you know, um, it was quite a revelation for me to learn that food does not become a problem to every person who who uses it. You know, normal people, um, you know, don't have that problem. You know, that the use of my bin substances in itself does not produce a chronic compulsive reader. Um, but the phenomenon of craving, you know, must be um, present as a manifestation of an allergy. And, and so then when it's established in a person like me, even a little bit of that substance ingested creates a desire for more. And that, that sep- separates uh, someone like me aside as a separate entity. It creates a conflict that ends in, you know, for me in different forms of neurosis. And so whether you're 20, 30, 50, 70, it doesn't matter. You'll never be able to eat in moderation if you're one of us. 
if you are a compulsive overeater. And remember, we're, we're discussing the chronic alcoholic, the chronic compulsive overeater, not the person who eats more than is good for them, you know, but has no resulting problem. This guy had a problem. And in our vicious cycle, unless we experience a vital spiritual transformation as a result of these steps, is, you know, we eat and then we feel remorse and do some sort of penance and, and a new transgression and a new penance. And, and so goes that merry-go-round of misery <laughs> that, that we're on. And, you know, one definition of surrender, people ask me a lot of times, you know, surrender. One definition of surrender that is helpful to me is to yield to the power and control of a power more substantial than myself. And so I had to give up completely that intellectual fight for my right to fully understand how it works, why it works. You know, my brain is limited. It's limited. And in the end, I'd rather be free then validated in my ignorance and kept, you know, a prisoner in my self-will. Um, it's funny, you know, that, uh, you know, basically we, we, we arrange, you know, for variations in the original theme, which, you know, we, we haven't learned either to overcome or live with our compulsive reading, so we try to continually master it, you know, in its original form, and it becomes too much for us. And so we try to repeatedly intellectualize and try to understand it more. Let me just wrap my brain around it more and more. And you know what I found out? It'll never happen. You can intellectualize this and analyze this to your grave, you know, with with a a spoon, a knife, and a fork. Um, Or you can give up the fight and just acceptance. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? I'd like to share. This is Vasa. Vasa, go ahead. Thank you, Monica, and good morning, Vision, for you. I'm grateful to be here this morning and a grateful recovering compulsive overeater calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And uh, <clears throat> I had a problem, and the problem was getting bigger and bigger and bitter and bigger, and I tried to control it for many, many, many years. And uh, the solution was for me when I came to the big book, um, learning the allergy with the mental obsession. And I was so, so relieved to, to hear that and to be reassured if I put the food down, if I put the toxic, toxic substance and get the clarity, and then I can work the steps. What a hope gave me. It gave me so much hope and so much relief. But it talks in this um, paragraph how he was in the barn and in order to get sober or something like that. It reminds me of the times when I used to work. I remember saying, well, maybe if I'm home, I'll have a better control over the food. I'm at work now. I don't have as much control. And, you know, all the games that I have heard that everybody played, and I played played the same thing, if only, if only, if only. Well, I, you know, I got pregnant, I had a child, was I stay home. Mom, I couldn't, are you kidding? I I got even worse trouble with the food. I remember thinking, if maybe if my husband just puts me in the room and locks me in the room, before I had the baby, <laughs> uh, if he only locks me in the room 
and you know and leave them there for the whole day, or maybe if I just could have a little bit of food there and have a better control. You know, it's such a sickness, was such a horrible sickness. I had no control over it, and for me, it was to come. And this is the direction. This is the solution. This is the recipe. The way it's laid out in the big book. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Bella. Can I share? Go ahead, Bella. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. He would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. Wow, the willpower, at least for me, it's killing words because till I was in the program, I was all the time blamed and judged that I don't have the willpower. And I was, I was all the time uh, comparing myself or people would compare myself to others. You see why she can lose weight and not you. You see, she has the willpower, but not you. And this is what I go up, that comparing myself to others and being all the time jealous because they can lose weight and not me. They have the willpower and not me. I don't have the willpower. And I was all the time in a miserable feeling that I am not as good and as smart as others. And thank you, God, that now I am in the program and I understand that I have a disease that part of my disease is physical. Yes, this is the way that God created me. I have an allergy in the body. It's nothing to do with with my willpower. I have an allergy in the body, and I have allergy to my alcoholic foods. And as soon as I eat them, and it doesn't matter, even if I take a small bite, there you go. I don't have a control, and it's nothing to do with my willpower. And thank you, God, that now I am in the program. I understand that the first thing I have to 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 know, to be aware of my my alcoholic food, and to be abstinent, and not to put them inside my body. And it's nothing to do with my willpower. I just have, first of all, to be, to, to take care of my allergy and to know that I cannot have them. Not a small bite, not a big bite. I just cannot have them. And it's nothing to do with me. This is the way God created me. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Rakesset? Rakesset. Go ahead. Thank you. This is Rakefa Z, Compulsive Overeater Recovered in California. So I can really relate to this guy in the barn. I don't know how many times I have been, I thought was got to be my bottom, got to be the bottom, bottom. And I just wanted, I just wanted to die too because I couldn't stop eating. I could not stop eating. I could not 
live without the food. I couldn't live with the food. When I tried to stop eating, it was just impossible. You know, I would wake up and I would know. I would just know, I can't do this today. I can't not eat today. I just can't. The only thing that will prevent me from eating is being locked up, like someone else said. I used to dream of being locked up so I could only eat the three meals a day that I'm entitled to. So I can really understand this man's hopelessness. And what happened to me is each time I hit that bottom, bottom, I would I would keep praying. I would keep asking God for help. And eventually I would get what I call a window opportunity. All of a sudden a thought will come to my mind. You can stop this. This can stop. This can be better. And I know that comes directly from my God inside of me. You know, you don't have to do this. And when I get that, I need to run with it. All of a sudden, I have a lucid thought that this can stop. And I have to be at the place where I am in so much pain that eating is just a tiny, tiny bit more painful. I mean, uh less painful than than, uh, than abstaining. So I say with 51% to abstain and 49% to eat, that's when I have to knuckle down. I have to ask God for help to get through the the, um, the cleanse, the toxic cleanse, all that. But eventually that comes. Eventually I hear God's voice <clears throat> when I seek it out. Even in my darkest days, where I just could not believe, could not believe ever that I would be able to stop eating. But it's possible, it's doable with God's help in this program. So thank you for letting me share that pass. Hi, this is thank Rachel you, H. from New York. Can I, can I share with you? Rachel H., go ahead. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Rachel H. from New York, recovered from multiple overeaters. So grateful to be on this meeting today. Um, and I, too, when I'm feeling discouraged, I think of this man from the barn, um, and there are three key things here about his situation that I always can relate to, which is the hopelessness, being hidden, and determined to die. And it's what amazes me is now that I was in recovery, I look back on what my life was like before recovery, and what amazing to me is how much I accomplished in my life despite walking around 24-7 with this feeling of hopelessness, this feeling of I'm never going to be able to get my weight under control. I'm always going to struggle with it. I'm always going to be up and down. I'm always going to have five sizes of clothes in my closet. I'm always going to lose weight in the spring, summer, gain it in the winter. I'm always going to feel that. And that hopelessness, this feeling of um, I'm just always going to have this source of sadness in my life. And being hidden, I mean, I, I certainly can relate to that. I wear black all the time. I wear a lot of makeup or make my hair look nice, hoping like maybe you won't notice I'm overweight because my hair and makeup will distract you. Um, you know, in pictures, I was always trying to hide. Um, and and even just not not even just pictures, but just if you if I met you and you were speaking to me, you would never guess how miserable I was because I come across as having it all together and people in my life would describe me as someone who's put together. But so much of my 
personality growing up was built around this feeling of being hidden. So I was a loudmouth, I was a gossiper, I was very opinionated, I was giving unsolicited advice. Like these, these are all ways that I hide. These are all ways that I hide. And um, I want to talk about this guy in the bar who determined to die. You know, I, I, I didn't have any official suicide attempts. But I, I, I just was walking around feeling like I was just dead in that I, I didn't feel alive. I didn't feel like I was waking up each morning with the energy to advance myself any more than the day before. It's like the goal was to survive or the goal was to get through a diet. Um, so I, I, I too think of this guy in the barn because I really I really connect with those ideas. And I think before I was ready to really accept the language of the steps as describing my situation, this language really appeals to me, this idea of being hopeless and hidden and determined to die. I was that I passed. Thank you, Rachel H. Let's move on. And Anita L., will you read the next three paragraphs for us, please? Yes, hi, good morning. I'm Anita L., compulsive overeater, recovered for today. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we then called moral psychology and we doubted if even that would have any effect. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he is as fine a specimen of manhood as one could wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through. And though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. Uh, whenever I read that last paragraph, I always just feel like, oh, thank you, God. It's so beautiful because there is an answer. Here was a man so hopeless, so desperate. He just, he had tried so many times to, uh, you know, fight this alcohol problem and and be freed of it and he just couldn't do it and it was because he was trying to do it alone you know maybe he tried to control the type of drinks when he drank uh you know all the different scenarios that we we try um and he just couldn't do it and he was so hopeless he went by himself to a deserted barn determined to die. So how much lower can we get than that? And uh, here in in the section that I read, um, it says his depression was so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we then called moral psychology. And someone on the line shared uh, that that meant a redevelopment of his thinking. So he had to change, just like me, I had to change all my attitudes and actions um, when it came to my binge trigger foods. And, you know, I think uh, it says we need honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And I think that that's really true for me. First of all, I had to be honest with myself. I think I'm 
a really honest person in general. However, when it came to my food, I would always try and hide to myself that I couldn't, I mean, that I could eat this and it would be okay. And finally, when enough was enough, when I was hurting so much and I was just tired of going back and forth and back and forth with the food and and being abstinent, living in recovery, and then going back into the food when my spiritual solution would start to dwindle. Um, I just didn't want it anymore. I didn't want to live life that way anymore. And, and so, therefore, I was honest with my food, and I was open to what my guide from this uh, phone meeting shared with me and asked me to do uh, when when she asked me to put down, would you be willing to put down these X foods um, just while we're working the 12 steps? And then if you want them later, you can have them. And you know what? I, I'm sure she knew I wouldn't want them afterwards because I feel so good now and I don't miss them. That's the beauty, you know. Uh, it's It's just such a beautiful process. And then... It said he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. You know, I think it's like where the other person, um, where where I think it was Bill W. when when Ebby uh, came to him and uh, Bill said, you know, was I interested? Of course I was interested. I had to be because I was hopeless. And this is how this guy felt too. And um, here from being one of the low-bottom gutter alcoholics, now he's transformed and we say he is as fine a specimen of manhood as one could wish to meet. And uh, I don't know if I'm quite in that category. However, I feel that I have become transformed and I am a much better person than I used to be. And I am happy, joyous, and free. And the obsession has been lifted when it comes to food with me for today. And I am truly grateful to my higher power. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Anita. And would anyone like to comment on these last three paragraphs? Sally. I heard Sally and someone else. Eileen from Bedford, Mass. <laughs> um, Eileen? Yes. Okay. Thank you. All right, Sally and Eileen. Sally, you're up. Monica, I, I'm hearing Kim say her name repeatedly. Oh, okay. I didn't. All right, we'll add Kim. <laughs> okay, thank, you. thank you, Monica. Um, good morning, everyone. It's Sally, uh, Sally A., a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. And um, just say good morning in TGIF to everybody. Um, I just love this guy's story. And when, when the doctor says, um, when I need a mental uplift, I think it's a very polite way of saying, when I want to crack up when I'm by myself, he thinks of this guy who ran to a barn. And um, and not to go into that paragraph too much, but I I wanted to say at the bottom of the page where it talks about this moral psychology, his his alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great. I can't imagine how this life, this guy's life was a mess like mine, and he was so depressed, so depressed that he was 
you know, I was on antidepressants for years that we felt his only hope would be through what we then called moral psychology. And we doubted if even that would have any effect. And for me, moral psychology, I had years of therapy because of, you know, the opposite side of the page where it talks about a seething cauldron of debate. I had years of therapy because there were so many people in my world, in the world of psychiatric nursing, that believed that it was a matter of behavioral training, you know, that don't be black and white, Sally. Stop thinking. You've got to get rid of that OA thinking. You know, I had been steeped in OA for years. You've got to stop the OA thinking of black and white, that you're not going to eat sugar and flour. You have to use behavioral modification. At that time, when I was in school training, we were learning cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. Now they're doing this dialectical behavioral therapy. Oh, it just really is kind of a heartbreaker for me that they still haven't gotten it yet. You know, the, the DSM-5 people just don't have it yet. But going back to... um. To the book in the last couple of paragraphs. However, he did become sold on the ideas, sold like at an auction, um, sold on the ideas contained in this book like me. And finally, what I want to say is, and most importantly, is this bottom line. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through. If you're anything like me, if you get a hang toenail and you're in pain, your toe is hurting you, you would go on the internet and you would Google, what do I do for a hang toenail? You know, what's, are there any, is there anything else I can do for a hang toenail? But this is affecting every area of my life. And, and this is the book that saved my life. This is the book. And it says, I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through, through. And I earnestly advise every person on this line, especially you newcomers, Read this 164 pages, start at the beginning and read straight through it as quickly as you can. And then get to work. Thanks for letting me share with that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Eileen, you're up. Hi, Monica. This is Rachel. Thanks. Thanks. Um, this is Eileen. Uh, Raquel, there's others ahead of you, but I will put you on the list. Go ahead, Eileen. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, I can. All right, thank you so much for letting letting me share. Eileen, a compulsive beater from Bedford, Mass. Um, this, this doctor's opinion is so marvelous to me. You know, um, as I've shared here before, um, it took me 18 years to surrender. You know, it it all, the reading had, it said something to me about my will, you know, instead of God's will. Um, His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that he felt his only hope would be through what we called moral psychology. I tried uh, psychiatrists. I tried psychologists. I tried um, medications to help me, and nothing did except surrendering, finally surrendering and lifting up my palms and looking up to the clouds and saying, God, I can't do this anymore. Please do it for me. And he did. And I'll have 10 years back in the fellowship. 
I've got coming up to my fifth year anniversary of abstinence after a relapse after another five years. Thank you, God, the relapse only lasted a month, but I'm grateful for that relapse because it taught me about the disease and about how it is progressive, very progressive. It gets worse. It does not get better. I don't need to go out there and do any more research. I've done it. The food is not an option for me anymore, at least the sugar and the flour and not weighing it. I have to have boundaries around my food. And getting other people to understand that is not so important to me anymore. What is important is the action that I take. He became so sold on the ideas contained in this book. Definitely, this book is my Bible. This is how I live my life today. And I'm going to the convention this weekend with a friend from program who lives in another state. Where where could I get friends like that from? Nowhere else but from this fellowship. And uh, thanks for choosing me to share. I'll pass. Thank you, Eileen. Kim, you're up. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. We all seem to be centering on that same line. You know, he became sold on the ideas contained in this book. You know, I mean, that's what Bill is. Bill's a salesman. So he's trying to sell us on these ideas. What are these ideas? The ideas are the 12 steps. The ideas are that we have the problem, there's a solution, and that there's a plan of action. You know, AA has a 12 and 12. OA has a 12 and 12. And those books are wonderful, but all they are is essays about people's experiences. There's no instruction in the OA 12 and 12, and there's no instructions in the AA 12 and 12. So where are the instructions? You know, it's easy to say, well, I'm trying to work the steps from the 12 and 12 because chapter 1 is step 1, chapter 2 is step 2, is step two chapter 3 is step 3. So how can I work the steps in this book? Because I have to tell you where it says you read the book through. I read the book through many times. But what I used to do is read from page 165 through the end because I love the stories. I never really read the first 164 pages. I never read it as a textbook, as a, as a manual for living. But when I did, when I did these pages specifically, precisely, and clear cut, I had a transformation. So if anyone wants to go back to page um, Roman numeral um, V, which is page 5, because we're going to see that the steps are in this book. You know, the doctor's opinion, what we read just now is the medical diagnosis. Do we have the allergy of the body and obsession of the mind? If we don't, we may not need this program. We probably don't need this program. And what does that look like in a human being? Bill's story will tell us what that looks like in a human being. Do you identify in with the progression of the illness? And the next chapter, there is a solution. It gives us a peek at the solution. But really, 17 through 24 is going to give us an idea of what is a real alcoholic, an alcoholic of our type. It's going to give us the difference between the moderate eater, the heavy eater, and the true compulsive overeater. It's all step one. And then more about alcoholism is not about people who are drunk. It's about people who are sober. If we had a one-fold illness, if we only had the allergy of the body, then abstinence would be our solution. 
And we're going to learn in this chapter more about alcoholism, about the unmanageability of our life, which is step one, and the insanity, which is step two. It's going to tell us about the fact that being sober is not enough. And in fact, sobriety is my real problem, which is why I have to eat again. And then we agnostics is step two. We agnostics is going to teach us that we need our power. Those prior chapters teach us we're powerless, and we agnostic teaches us we need a power. And then in the chapter, How It Works, we're going to do steps 3 through 11 in one chapter. It's going to give us those clear-cut directions. We know we're powerless. We need a power. We're making a decision to seek that power, and it's going to give us the instructions on how to find that power. And then, in the, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. So How It Works is, is steps 3 and 4. Into Actions is steps 5 through 11. What is step 12 said? Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message. That's working with others. It's going to teach us how to carry that message. And the last part of step 12 is practicing these principles in all of our affairs. Where are all of our affairs? That's the chapters, to the wives, the family afterwards, to the employers. And then vision for you is going to tell us how to create the fellowship we crave. So what are we being sold on? We're being sold on the steps which are specifically, precisely, and clearly cut, put out in these chapters. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Raquel, you're up. Hi, Nanita. Can I share? Thank you for your service. And hello to everybody on the line. That's so incredible, all this studying the doctor's opinion again. Um, I wanted to, to relate to um, a couple of things here. Uh, one, one of the uh, most important things to me, I love this man, this last story man, because he's honest. He's got what it takes to recover. He honestly sized up his problem. He sized up his problem. He said without a power, he didn't know there is another power, but he, he knew that unless he has his own power with the ability to uh, really resist, he doesn't have anything to do here in the world. He can't. He can't be here. He can't be, stay in this world without having a power. He thought that he needs his power. He found out different. He was told on the ideas of this book, the center of which is that you need a higher power. Not because he is or isn't, but because you can't without him. So... I love this man with his honesty. I knew, I knew he would succeed, almost like I was there, because he was honest, and that's what they tell us in, uh, I think, more in alcoholism, that if you, are, if you have the ability to be honest, no matter where you are, you will, you will, you will be able to, to have this program. The other thing is that it says in the end to, to read this book so through, what do you mean to read this book through? I sat in, in OA for 30 years, and they always started with how it works, how what works. You didn't understand the problem. You didn't understand the solution offered. You just want to know how to implement a solution to a problem that you didn't understand. I mean, come on. I, I'm sorry. I, I still, it'll probably take me a little while longer to get over the anger over this, but... Um, Maybe God knew that I wasn't ready for anything more. But to read this book, um, this book through, this is now 
this incredible experience being with all of you guys doing this and bringing it into our community and seeing people open their eyes to suddenly speak honestly about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. It just blows me away what a meeting we have today when people are holding their hand in their hand a, a translation of Ruth's speech about the doctor's opinion and reading it paragraph by paragraph, beautifully edited by another friend. And things are happening. And I love Dr. Silkwood so much that I have a picture of him in my living room, and I call him Silky, like lovingly Bill called him in his book, Pass It On. And I hope we can pass it on and start doing something, really getting somewhere. Thank you so much, Vision, for you. I love you all. Have a God-blessed day. And thank you for letting me share. I thank you, Raquel. <clears throat> and would anyone else like to share? And I did hear Sue G. And would anybody else Leia. like to share? Leanne. Leia. Leia. Okay. Sue G. And then Leia. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's Sue G. Um, and today, just for today, my identity is I am a compulsive eater, and I am a recovered one. I am a soul doctor, and I am a control freak human being. Um, This is a beautiful chapter, and I love the end of it. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through and through through and so perhaps he came to scoff he may remain to pray William D. Silkworth MD he signed it he wasn't going to sign it at first but he signed it and what what a beautiful blessing on us this whole thing is and and I'd like to kind of reframe it in the way I'm thinking just for today that we question you know did, did we have the willpower oh we did oh we didn't well, yes, we did and we didn't. And, and it's paradox that, that is at the center of the spiritual experience here, that, that I had the willpower, all right. I had the will to keep on eating. And, and I was following the eating disorder, my, my compulsive eating. That's, what, that's where my will, my free will took me. But what was that? Was that bad free will? No, it was misaligned free will. It, it was going in the wrong direction. It, it had to get turned around. And I think that's what the lovely Dr. Silkworth is talking about. This is a very spiritual message. Yes, it's grounded in the idea of the allergy of the body and the um, obsession of the mind, but it is a prayerful and and a spiritual message. And I noticed on page 30, XXX, in the um, second to last paragraph, a word, I, two words I never noticed before. I noticed this time through. The words may be. It says this phenomenon, as we suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, etc., etc. So, he, he's, a, he's a good spiritual scientist. He doesn't know for certain what the truth is. 
that's the true spirit of investigation talked about at the end of Appendix 2 in this lovely book. So, so I would like to also comment that an expansion of the ideas in this book is in, in the 12 and 12, the AA 12 and 12, and it's probably in the OA uh, 12 and 12 too, but I can't cite it. But in the AA 12 and 12, in step 11, page 99, is a prayer, the 11th step prayer. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred I may bring love, where there is wrong I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord I may bring harmony, where there is error I may bring truth, where there is doubt I may bring faith, where there is despair I may bring hope, that where there are shadows I may bring light, that where there is sadness I may bring joy, etc. Now, to me, I don't know about you, but this is just personal. To me, that is a bunch of instructions. It's a bunch of instructions to reorganize my attention. My attention has been falsely placed upon the food. And I have to have a complete deflation with that and work with my higher power, the one talked about in this prayer, what I'm going to do about it and accept that and get a sponsor to help me to work through these steps because the, the change is in the steps. The recovery is in the steps. But the, the guidance is everywhere in our fellowship. We just have to be aligned with it properly. So that's what I have to say, and thank you very much for allowing me to share. I pass. Thank you, Suji. And Leah, take us out, Leah. Thank you, Monica, for your service. Good morning, everybody. Leah and recovered. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. You know, uh, you know, like like this gentleman, I had to be beaten into a state of reasonableness and beaten into a state of, uh, you know, pressing in to these steps that are that are taught in this book. I mean, it, it says at the beginning of the text, you know, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book, and that's exactly, um, you know what I needed to pursue as if my life depended on it because it did. I mean, we've just wrapped up the doctor's opinion. The doctor's opinion is the foundation of the whole big book and the fellowship. Without it, uh, the entire book wouldn't make sense. You know, most OA meetings do not even crack open, you know, or present the doctor's opinion. You know, thank God we have an opportunity to do so here. I know when I was beaten into a state of reasonableness like this gentleman, uh, you know, I got an education from this book about the exact nature of my condition. I knew I was a compulsive overeater. I knew I had a problem with food and compulsive overeating, just like this gentleman knew he was an alcoholic, but I did not understand. I did not know how my disease functioned, and I got that education from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And even though the big book is talking about alcohol and alcoholism and I'm a compulsive overeater, when I use the words food and compulsive overeating instead of alcohol and alcoholism, the big book was talking about me. And I resigned from the debating, the debating society, and I stopped arguing with the definitions of powerlessness and insanity, and I stopped 
defying and delaying and resisting, and I became sold. Because the only disease known uh, where there's no enthusiasm for recovery is addiction, <laughs> you know, is alcoholism, is compulsive overeating. We don't want to accept who and what we are. You know, if, uh, if someone's blind, they accept that they're blind. If someone has AIDS, they accept they have AIDS. If someone has cancer, they accept they have cancer. I mean, it's comical and tragic at the same time. We have a mind that says we're really not compulsive overeaters. I had to become sold. And what sold me was desperation. And with that desperation, I applied myself to these steps. And the 12 steps, uh, you know, was a path that led me to that spiritual awakening. I was changed in the way I thought. I was changed in the way I felt and especially in the way I behaved. And what distinguished this 12-step process from other self-help programs, et cetera, that I pursued is that this change was done to me, not by me, although it needed my full cooperation. God gave me not a piece of a life or a part of a new life. God gave me a whole new life, just like this gentleman. It took me from hopelessness to hope, from I can't to he can. And the secret of these 12 steps and principles, which are spiritual in nature, is that, yes, indeed, by applying, becoming sold, and praying, and applying, it is, it is possible to be able to effectuate such a dramatic change in character and values and personality that we become reborn. Isn't that amazing? We become reborn. We're not what we used to be. Old ideas, emotions, and attitudes that we have when we arrived here are cast aside through the application of these steps, and a whole new set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes dominate us. And you know what? The chances of recovery are 100%, because it's still true. As when it was penned in 1939, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And with that, I pass things. Thank you, Leah. Ditto, ditto. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Sarah W., can you read for us, please, from A Vision for You? I'd be happy to, Monica. This is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you, Monica, and I pass.